For player profiles, in-depth features, and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world. Hello, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast, a really intriguing and hopefully enlightening episode today as uh, we'll be looking to discuss Premier League 2, which some of you may refer to as the Under-23 Premier League, Uh, but it is the premium Under-23 competition in English football, uh, where the best and brightest young players compete uh, among their age mates. Uh, With me for this one, I've gone through Scouted Football's uh, little contact book uh, and come up with a a guest who I feel is is best placed to discuss PL2 alongside me and the, the various offshoots I'm sure we'll we'll get into over the course of the next hour. Uh, it is Jonathan Fadugba who is a footballing consultant, scout, writer, podcaster, um, almost a, a quadruple threat there. Uh, Jonathan is, is director at, at Future Global Sports, which helps to advise and consult on player transfers, contract negotiations and the like. Uh, but he's also a keen follower of Scandinavian football, youth football in this country and, and, and well worth a follow on Twitter uh, if that is your sort of thing. Uh, Jonathan, welcome to the podcast, a scouted football debut. How are things? Joe, thanks a lot for having me on the show. Uh, thanks for that kind introduction. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you on, on the show and I'm really looking forward to talking about um, the PL2 and, and youth football. So yeah, uh, thanks for the invite. No, no, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, I mean, I, I was sort of going down your your feed. I, I had you recommended uh, to, to me as a sort of a guest. And I was thinking, how have I not come across this guy before? Because, you know, this is this seems like a, a meeting of minds here, that the, the scouted football brand and, and yourself. Uh, it, it seems like a, a, a very good marriage. But um, um, just first of all, talk me through sort of what future global sports is. Uh, yeah, Future Global Sports is the, a meeting of minds uh, between myself and, the, and, and a fellow colleague that um, came to fruition sort of four or five years ago where we, we kind of identified the, well, the non-league market and kind of the gap between kind of professional football and non-league football and the growing kind of prevalence of non-league football and decided to kind of essentially create a consultancy whereby we can uh, try and help players make that pathway. Um, you know, just in in preparation for this for this podcast, and in and in general, um, those those listeners who may be aware, like the the, the one of the things that really interests me about football um, is, and is kind of the player pathway and the difficulty of sort of forecasting player careers. You you can be at a Premier League academy, you can be the best club in the world uh, at seventeen, and you could be at McDonald's by the age of twenty three. You know, unemployed, uh, or you can be in McDonald's at the age of seventeen. And in the Premier League by the age of 25, um, you know, you can look at someone like Jamie Vardy, for example, you, you can flip it either way. And that sort of lack of linearity in football is something that, that kind of really interests me. And that's kind of what led me towards this, this sort of consultancy area. Um, obviously, I've worked in football for, for many years in, in different avenues, media um, and analysis and things like that. So this was kind of like the, the involvement in kind of trying to actually help, help players and help clubs and sort of help people make their way in this sort of crazy environment that is football um, is kind of where Future Global Sports um, originated. So that's the kind of short short answer, I suppose, um, in terms of how we've grown kind of, you know, the, the PL2 report is something we, re- we released in, um, in, in the summer, uh, in early May. And it was kind of like identifying, we, we kind of saw a gap in the market for, for clubs and also some commercial partners um, worked with us, whereby our, our knowledge of non-league was, was excellent. But sometimes, you know, we wanted to have and also with the pandemic as well, you know, maybe slowing things down within football, especially in non-league with the leagues cancelled and everything. 
we wanted to kind of model uh, the the difference between the PL2 and non-league, if that makes sense. Because obviously we've got all this knowledge of, of semi-professional leagues. I could talk to you about any probably league from step six up to step one. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you're going to try and sort of maybe advise someone or, or recommend to a club, a player at that level, you also need to know what they have within their building. And so I think we, we kind of <clears throat> originally created the report out of that desire to um, just get to know that the PL2 inside out. So there was no, no doubt about, you know, no one can question uh, X player versus X player. And, and then we found that obviously there was a commercial value that for the clubs that might be interested, whether it's a non-league level, just trying to know players maybe coming out of academies or for um, maybe clubs looking to sort of look uh, for potential signings and that kind of thing. So uh, that's the sort of long and short answer, but, but uh, yeah. Hopefully that explains it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a really useful tool, especially for for those people involved in that crazy world of football that you describe. Um, of course, I, I touched on how you're a bit of a writer and a podcaster as well, but but also the the the, the PL two report, uh, which I think is a fantastic uh, tool to to use for for anybody in the game. Um, uh, you know, who, who's going to be potentially looking at those players who are maybe dropping in or dropping out and, and up and coming, of course. Uh, and that is obviously the, the nature of this podcast, uh, being the, the up and coming players, under 23 players and and specifically under 23 football. Um, and PL2 is is a competition um, that, that has really piqued my interest uh, over the over the past probably around four or five years, um, you know, that since it, it came into to operation as as Premier League two. Um, and it's it's a it's a competition which is is split into two divisions, uh, division one and division two, as luck would have it. Um, but it's uh, it's it's very curious because obviously it's 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 marketed as it's labeled rather as an under twenty three competition, but you rarely get players in there in in the under twenty three teams who are you know pushing twenty three by that point they've either you know been released uh, if they're not going to make it to the first team grade or they've been sold elsewhere um, or they are playing first team football at that club or elsewhere um, it's typically teenagers it's typically you know younger players uh, probably between the ages of around seventeen to to twenty one that, that are punctuating the teams in this in these two divisions um, under the Premier League two umbrella um, but I, I just kind of wanted to get your your stance on on what you what you think of the of the, the the format itself, Jonathan? Yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting format. You know, as you all know, Joe, it was kind of uh, kind of rebranded or, or revamped. I think it was around twenty seventeen. Um, but this kind of under twenty one model of football is, is something that's quite prevalent in English football. It's, it's always maybe been contested from maybe play uh, people coming in. Uh, from abroad, for example, managers, you know, I know, for example, Pep Guardiola is very in favour of maybe introducing a, a B-team model, which um, which is a debate maybe we can have later or for another day. But, you know, th- there's always that debate in terms of countries have their own different ways of doing things in terms of youth development. I think one thing you can say about English football at this moment in time, you know, when I started kind of making my way within to intermedia and, and football um, as my passion, the academy system in England was very, un- very much under scrutiny. You know, you were looking at, you know, I kind of started around the time England failed to qualify for Euro 2008 and the de- the debate at that point was kind of you know it was kind of EPPP was in the in the making and and it was the bubbling and the, the academy system kind of needed a complete revamp really and it was it was put forward that English football wasn't developing players in the right way I think you can safely say sort of like 10 what nearly 15 years later or whatever it's it's a, the landscape's completely different if you look at the academy development now within English football um it's probably you could argue never been in a better place 
Um, you know, you just have to look at the England team uh, in, in the mm. Euros. You just have to look at the likes of Phil Foden, um, Bukayo Saka, Jaden Sancho, Tammy Abraham, Callum Hudson-Odoi. I could continue on for quite a long time just list, reeling off names. Uh, and you can you say that these have all come through, you know, that that academy system. So you can see there's a definite pathway. Players are coming through maybe arguably slightly younger. And you can say that there are, have been merits and you could argue it's been a success in that sense. Um, but yeah, the... the the model of it is to, is to talk, sort of have that, you know, the, the aims of it was to make uh, a more technical game, have a more, uh, a greater infrastructure, obviously the Cat 1, Cat 2 systems and things like that, and try and try and integrate um, a certain brand sort of dictated down from the FA down to the to the clubs, uh, a kind of playing style and that kind of thing to, to develop players in a certain way that would then suit the England model. Um, so that's kind of the background of it. How it's developed is, is I think, quite well. You, you can argue, I mean, if you were to talk to maybe a lot of scouts or people within clubs, some will say to you, under 23s is a complete waste of time and we should abandon it and get rid of it completely. Uh, and some would say it's very useful and it has, has its merits and it can produce players. You know, if you're looking at the pathway into professional football and into the Premier League, then, you know, it's up to you what you prefer in that sense, if you see what I mean. The way I see it, you, you know, there is a strong argument between have, playing regular first team football from a very young age, uh, men's football, in other words, from the non-league route, for example, semi-pro route, or or sort of integrating yourself in an academy. And, the, and there's pros and cons to both. You know, the academy system is a lot more technical. Uh, obviously, you have a lot more day-to-day -day work. You 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 play in a certain way. You get to understand uh, the system of football, if you know what I mean. Whereas you could argue maybe uh, outside that, it's a bit more rogue. You're playing for three points. You might be exposed to different environments, different, uh, you know, you're playing with players who may be a lot older. There's three points on the line. And so the differences between the two of them are, are quite interesting. And, and I think when when making the PL2 report and, and in general, when you study uh, PL2 football, one thing you, you, you very quickly realise is it's, this, it's so varied in terms of um, the pathways, as, as I mentioned before. And, and you know, there's, there's a stat that says kind of that if you're in an academy, you've got a 0.00012% chance uh, if you're an academy from the age of nine, you've got a 0.00012% chance of making it into the Premier League. Uh, 180 and 1.5 million will make it. So that tells you that there's a lot of wastage there. And, 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 and you know, the chances of making it even as, as a professional is, is less than 1% if you're coming from the academy system. So, you know, our work is to try and increase that percentage, try and re reduce that waste. And and I think with the academy system, it's, it's, it's just an ongoing debate in terms of what is the better way. And, and, and I think in, in many cases, it's kind of a player by player basis, isn't it? And it's the chances you get. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely think that that's the, that's the case. It's a it's a case by case basis. You know, you it, one of the things that I've written down on on the sort of the prep sheet here is you know uh, who cares about their under twenty three sides, who doesn't? And you know we're talking about the the best teams in England here. Um, you know their under twenty threes, the the team which is obviously below the the first team, but it's it's plain to see if you just go down the squad list or you watch the you watch plenty of PL2 games that, that unfortunately there will be some players in who are playing you know, many many games a season for the for for the for the under 23 side of their premier league club that they just simply will not make the grade because either there isn't the you know I like to call it sort of the golden triangle of a, a manager who's willing to blood young players the the pathway to a first team um to a first team place uh, and also uh you know the 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 lack of squad depth in that particular position in the first team to to be able to um 
you know succeed uh, a player who may be on the on his way out or maybe sold or whatever um so it it does depend on on how much emphasis certain teams place on their their under 23 squad but also on the individual player and the the coaching staff there are a multitude of factors uh in terms of um how and why certain players do make it and, and others don't um and you know, it, it's not as cut and dry as, you know, if you've been an England youth international and played under 23 football from the age of 16 up until 1920, that you're going to be a Premier League footballer. It's just simply not the case. Um, it's it, it needs to be a carefully managed uh, approach. And I think that, um, yeah, the, 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 the player well-being and the, the aftercare issue, which is something we've discussed on this podcast before, uh, is one which will become more and more important because as you as you describe it, you know, ultimately it is waste. You know, it's 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 young players lives, which they get to a point and it, ultimately it, 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 they get they get called into that meeting and they're they're released. Um, so it's yeah, it, it's. It's a very difficult and very delicate topic to, to broach, but the the competition itself, you know, you've had past winners such as uh, Everton, I think, have won it twice in the last five years. Manchester United, uh, Arsenal, Chelsea, uh, those are the the under twenty three teams who've typically done well. But there's a great deal of variance. Uh, I think I'm quite keen to convey is in that you know year on year there will there, there'll be a lot of churn in the squads. Uh, for these 23 teams because typically younger players do not get given four and five year deals when you're playing in a in an under 23 side it's just simply not the case it's not financially prudent it's not it yeah it, it's not good in terms of squad building either um so you've got players who are typically on maybe two, one two three year deals at, at these you know premier league academies and premier league under 23 sides um who are you know they're fighting for for their next contract extension they're fighting for to be you know just go up in that on that ladder to be maybe considered to be sort of broaching the the gap between the under twenty three side and the first team, um, and we'll get onto a few a few sides, a few case studies, if you will, uh, of of where that may may be the case at the moment. But um, in your opinion, you know, the, the, you were talking about the non league aspect and whether the the route of playing men's football, as it's termed by pretty much everybody, uh, or coming up through the under twenty three system. Uh, you know that there are merits on either side and off the top of my head I'm thinking well there are certain clubs who you wouldn't want their young players going out on loan because of the certain style of play that the first team first team adopts and you'd maybe want the 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 young player the teenager to be playing regularly uh in a 23 team but with that style of play so that they can you know slip into the the mold of the first team as, as soon as they're required um what, I mean, given the, 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 the non-league being an alternate route or, or under-23 football, it's not a question where I'm saying, uh, you know, which is better because it's just that's just not the case. But what is the what are the merits, what are the benefits and what are the pitfalls of sort of both, both uh, regimes? Yeah, and it's, it's a really fascinating discussion, isn't it? We, we could literally be here all, all day talking about yeah, it. There's so, there's so many, <laughs> yeah, like there's so many avenues and, and, and strands you can go off on and... and it's such a meaty discussion and it's a, it's an enjoyable one and hopefully listeners will enjoy it as well. I think, you know, when you talk about the <clears throat> the major players in the, in the PL2 and the, the past winners and things like that, I mean, you've got two, two sort of quite interesting examples, even just in, in what you're saying there, Joe, in, in um, obviously Manchester City won the, the title last season and, and the top scorer in, in the PL2 was Liam Delap. Um, but if you look at it this season, Liam Delap's still at, at Manchester City in the, in the PL2. Now he's one of the most um, exciting young, young talents in English football today hugely uh, touted and kind of coveted by by clubs all around the country. You, you would have thought um, if you were watching him last season, he, he would be a certainty to get maybe a loan 
and and go you know into into the first team, um, go, go into that first team football environment. But you know it, it's not quite happened for him yet, and there's maybe big decisions behind that. There's there's reasons, of course, which I won't you know which we won't delve into now. But it's just it's kind of a it's a good example using this one of the leading players. Um, and if you look at the year before that, 2019-20, uh, although the season was kind of cut, cut short slightly, but the top scorer at the time was Nathan Holland, who was um, at West Ham. Um, and he's another, it's a good example as well, because if you think about the top scorer in that in that environment, you would think, well, they're going to go on and have a, a great career or they're going to progress into the, their club's first team. Um, but if you look at Nathan Holland today, he's, a, he's at Oxford United. Um, he's doing quite well, 13 games, I think three goals, one assist. He's a regular at League One level. Um, but he's 23 years old now. Uh, you know, he's played 50 plus games in the PL2 for West Ham, but only four four senior games for West Ham, and, and I think a total of about 100, 110 minutes or so, 115 minutes. So it just shows you that you know, being the top scorer at PL2 level or being the best player at, at PL2 level is no is no guarantee that you're going to go then into your club's first team. Conversely, there's players that kind of you know, Cole Palmer, for example, at Manchester City. You know, another very, very good prospect. He's in and around the first team now at Manchester City. Um, played with Liam Delap. So, like you say, it's, it's so difficult to it's so difficult to make conclusions. Every individual is different, uh, and the rates of progression at youth level are always always different. Um, I think one thing one thing I've seen, and you know, you mentioned just in terms of the breadth of the the PL two and the youth football in in England. Um, of, the, of the, I think there's 650 plus players in, in, in our database when we when we made this um, report. I think more than 15% of them have transferred since the summer. So that's uh, more than 100, 100 plus, 150 have, have then moved on, whether they've been released by clubs uh, or moved to a different club. Um, and I know you've sort of uh, bookmarked maybe Leeds United and Aston Villa as clubs to maybe talk about. So, you know, as a, just an, as an example, Lewis Bate, you know, moving from, uh, from Chelsea to Leeds. Uh, players released left, right, centre. Um, you know, I was at a game the other day in, in non-league and it was a step three game and there was a player who ranked really highly in our database uh, who was released from West Brom and he's now playing at step three. So you, you can't predict some of these things. So, as you said, there's so many different factors and um, it is really hard to kind of figure out, <laughs> figure it out, if you know what I mean. And, and I guess that's the challenge when you look at it is like what managers and clubs, they're always evolving, changing, new, someone new will come in. Um, clubs have different ambitions with their recruitment. Maybe they have a set amount of players they want in the first team. Um, and, and sometimes it's a case of, listen, we've got two players here that we know are going to make it and the other rest are making up the numbers. And and I guess as a, as a player or as, you, as, as an advisor, you're, you're looking to kind of just make sure that players are in the right place um, suited to them to make the progression at the rate uh, that they require. Yeah, certainly. There's no there's no recipe for success, really, is there? And I think the Nathan Holland example is a good one. Um, so it's yeah, it 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 is one which has again has its merits, has its has its pitfalls. I think with the the non league aspect is what what you were talking about there, um, and how maybe talent identification sometimes allows certain players to fall through the cracks. I think Sorba Thomas, who's obviously a, a, now a Welsh international and playing very very well for Huddersfield in the Championship, uh, is is a is a prime example of that. You know, he racked up pretty much 100 games, 80, 90 games for Boreham Wood in, in non-league um, and, and ultimately was then, was then scouted by, by Huddersfield and is now showing that he for, for, clearly for, for an extended period he was capable of playing at this level. Uh, and you know, there's, there, there will naturally, if he continues at the rate that he does uh, this season with his, you know, in terms of being a, a, an excellent creator, then there will be Premier League clubs knocking on the door. Um, you know, 
using him as an example, what is that? Is that an argument for for certain people to say that oh, this is why under twenty three football is a complete waste of time, or is this a is this an argument for people who will say that actually no, there's that this was a this was a a deficiency in maybe the, the talent identification aspect. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, obviously, I have to sort of put a bit of a disclaimer because we we work with Silver Thomas. Um, we we kind of started working with him when he was at Bournemouth under nineteens. And uh, we were very privileged to sort of uh, have, have worked with him at uh, mm. Future Global Sports and, and seeing his progression is kind of, it's a personal point, obviously, because we've seen him go on. Um, and yeah, so commenting on, on him individually from from the insight I have, I mean, Sorba was released uh, by West Ham when he was a teenager uh, and obviously fell out of football. And, and this is a, a sort of, um, it's something quite common in, within non-league. You, you regularly get players who are maybe in an academy's environment uh, don't get the opportunity for for whatever reason. Often it's because of uh, literally physical development. So maybe they aren't uh, developed. You know, players sometimes clubs are looking for uh, a certain athleticism, a certain size. And I think smaller players in this country, you know, there's always that argument: would, would Lionel Messi have made it in within hmm. English football? Because if you look at his background, I'm not doubting his quality, but if you look at how <laughs> he came from the age of sort of 12 to say nine, 18, 19 to Barcelona's first team, would he have had that same pathway within English football? Um, and it's, a, you know, due to his size, due to the issues he had, obviously, with the um, hormonal issues. And uh, you, you wonder within English football, would, he, would there have been that pathway for him? You, you know, you, it's hard to say. Um, but yeah, it, you know, in that, in that case, he was released by West Ham. He moved to Boreham Wood. Uh, he was always a player that was going to have a career in football. I mean, I think it's, I've been surprised at how quickly it's happened for him at Huddersfield uh, and moving to Wales, which was a dream of his. Uh, so, you know, this week's in and make his debut was it was a pleasure to sort of witness that because I know how much it meant to him and his family. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, it, when you ask about is, you know, is non-league the, the pathway, for Sorba it was the pathway because at Boreham Woody there was, there was a plan for him. He, he played in a number of different positions over the over three years. He was the young player of the season uh, very early on, I think in 2019. Uh, he made minutes at Wembley when they got to the playoff final, I think in 2018 or 2019, very early on. And, and you could see he was gradually integrated into the first team because he was that good. Um, and he developed the robustness. He had the athleticism. He had the ability. He's got the ability in terms of set piece delivery. But he had the he had he he added to it that robustness in terms of dealing with a forty six game intense season and playing week in week out. Um, obviously lucky in the sense of not getting many injuries. Uh, there's another player at Bournemouth, Kane Smith, who who unfortunately got a serious injury. And I, from my point of view, he could have he could have gone on into league football as well, but maybe was slightly unlucky with an injury. Still, I think twenty five, but. Um, the, the point I'm trying to make is you do need a bit of luck as well in, in some areas. You, you, you need to be under the right manager. Boreham Wood had a, a, a cl- were a club where um, they've had a lot of stability because the, the, the manager there, Luke Garrard, has been there for a long time. So he, he's been able to integrate Silva. It wasn't, say, you know, if you look at, let's just take a random example, South End United. Now, at this moment in time, with the turbulence at South End, yeah. they may have a... a uh, a very good talent there, but will he get that progression? Because, you know, they've got managers leaving. Um, you know, the plan was in place and the plan was but it was able to be executed for Sorber, if that made sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, it, and then if you widen it out into, into non-league in general, I mean, the pandemic has obviously been really, really difficult because players have, there's certain leagues where players have not played now for, you know, a year and a half. So there's a player we were working with at the time uh, who was at step four. He was, he was 19 years old, very, very talented left back. Um, and he was supposed to go into a championship club right just before the pandemic started. Uh, I'm pretty sure he would have made it because he, he's got a very high, high ability. 
And, and then obviously the pandemic came along and football was paused for 18 months or so. So, um, you know, that's had to go on the back burner. And sometimes the, the point I'm trying to make is your, 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 your success as a footballer can, can depend on random factors that you can't control. Mm. Um, he's now sort of 21 and it's, it's a different conversation. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, just taking the case of Saw, but he, he, he was always going to make it because he was, he was a fantastic player. And, and from my point of view, it was quite frustrating in the early days talking to so many people and saying, listen, you can take this player for minimal outlay um, <laughs> and I guarantee you he's going to go far and, 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 and maybe you're not listened to, but eventually, you know, um, eventually it becomes too hard to, to ignore. But yeah, it's, it's I suppose I'm, I'm kind of rambling in, in, a, in a sense, but yeah, that, that's, that's the sober side of it. But in terms of the non-league route, it doesn't suit everybody. And I think the one thing I would conclude just from what I've witnessed is that there's certain players that you get to a certain point and PL2 football is no longer right for you. Mm. You know, maybe you need to develop the physical side of your game and, and it maybe it's good to go into men's football. There are some players where they're actually in men's football, but maybe they actually need to go into an academy environment because the tactical elements or, or, or the kind of, um, you know, the certain elements of their game that they don't understand and, and that, the level of coaching is maybe slightly lower in, in non-league football where you don't get that day-to-day -day kind of, you know, full-time environment and yeah. you actually need to. So again, as you know, probably going to come back to this and say it quite often, it's a, it is a case, it's sort of a very much a case-by-case -case basis. But yeah, it, it, in the case of Sorba, the, the, the progression has been incredible since he went to Huddersfield. But um, he was someone who always had that, that, that ability to, to kind of make it in the programme. No, I mean his story is a great one. I think. I mean, we, we've, I mean, we've, we've covered it sort of in his interviews. Uh, it's scouted sort of from what he's been saying, and you can tell, you can see that just the glee in his face that he's he's made a, his debut for Wales. It's absolutely brilliant to see, and that is one of the success stories. But rightly so, as you say, you know, the non-league is is not for everyone. Um, you know, it's it, it might be one of those where you know a player then ultimately becomes lost down the down the divisions because you know they they drop down maybe too far after they've left an academy um so it again as, as you say benefits and pitfalls on that as well and you, you know you rightly say it there joe like i think i think mentality uh and the flip side of the mentality is something that's really interesting um when when you look at non-league versus pl when you look at versus academy football because if you look at academy players where sometimes the pitfall is is if you're a 17 year old and you're at, say west ham or chelsea or whichever you know big club oftentimes you see the badge and, and kind of that's, that's your main focus. Yeah. And then when you no longer have that badge and you drop out, that enthusiasm can go or, or you're, you're, you could be caught by the trappings of having, having that badge. Where does the motivation come from when you're looking at the Hungerford Town badge when you were previously playing exactly. for, and, and you were effectively an employee of that club? And yeah, it, it, it takes a recalibration of the brain, doesn't it? 100%. And that's, that's exactly right. So, you know, sometimes with a, with a non-league player, their goal is, 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 is like they're pushing so hard to move up. Whereas, the, you know, at PL2 level at times, to deal with a setback of maybe getting released is really, really difficult because you no longer have what you had before and, and, and you can't see, you know, how you get a route back into it. And, and oftentimes when you, when you lose that status, you also lose the people around you who maybe were there because of that status. Mm -hmm. And, and so, yeah, the mental side of it is also very, very sort of in, uh, interesting to me. Anyway, and the differences between the two, and 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 um, and I think sometimes when, when you see players released, that that's something that can be a real challenge dealing with that setback and coming back on your feet. Um, whereas obviously when you're non league, you're, you're striving for that consistently. That's your dream, and and so that's another sort of area where the two differ. Um, that that mindset.
Yeah, definitely. Uh, we should probably get into the actual uh, the actual competition itself this season, um, <laughs> given that we spent 30 minutes, the best part of half an hour, uh, discussing the structures and the, the benefits, the pitfalls, non-league routes and all, and everything. Um, I mean, I'm sure that people have been enjoying listening to the warts and all, but I'm sure they also want to know who the top scorer is so far. Um, so I'm probably going to start with, with him. Um, maybe not too in-depth, uh, given how long we've gone on that, but uh, it is James McAtee at the moment who's playing for Manchester City unsurprisingly obviously uh, you mentioned that, that Liam Delap was uh, the top scorer in PL2 uh, last season so, was it something like 25 goals in 20 games or something around that uh, which is I mean staggering but also you know it's, it's not the be all and end all as, as we've just discussed uh, but yeah James McAtee has started the season extremely well for Man City uh, we've also got the the likes of Dylan Stevenson at Newcastle uh, Dylan Markenday at Spurs Fuller in Balogun uh, at, uh, at Arsenal Sam Burns at Blackburn Joe Gelhart at Leeds. Um, there are a number of very, very talented young players there. And, you know, just rattling the names off, you know, there are some which are more prominent than others, Balogun being being one in particular. Um, but that makes it interesting, doesn't it, that you've got players who are perhaps, you know, capable of playing, you know, cameo appearances for, for someone like Arsenal in, in, in the Europa League or the Conference League or wherever. Um, and then you've also got, you know, teenagers who are still somewhat uh, some way off first team football but they're, they're they're scoring at the same rate or they're they're doing very well i mean you know f- for you this season in in pl2 i know i've just pretty much just described strikers and 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 hoovered up all the all the ones you've probably got list, listed down but who have been sort of your your star performers so far yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough one because we could be here for a, quite a long time, um, as we as we already have been in in that sense, I suppose. Um, McAtee's a, a player that I think is having, you know, he's, he started very well this season. I think he's done very well in the past as well. I think in the season before last, he, he got eight goals, nine assists. I think in the PL two, um, so I think he had some injury problems at one point, but he's kind of come come through them and and is a player who can play, you know, in the central midfield areas. Can also mm. play as a forward. Can, can play on the wing. He's very technical, very. Um, Decent dribbler, can, you know, can pass progressively as well, uh, and and you know show, shows bright moments. You know, we mentioned in terms of the luck side of it, can sometimes just be a case of you've got another another player maybe in that position who who goes out on loan and, and gets minutes. You know, because you've got, for example, um, Philip Stevanovic at, at City, who's a similar age as him, but he's obviously been been out on loan and that kind of thing. Um, so that that's just an example of how how you can see progression. I think. A player that I'm I'm very impressed by within Man City is Romeo Lavia. I think mm. he's made a lot of strides. Um, you know, he's even been on the fringes of the first team. Uh, you know, he's uh, sort of 17, turning 18, uh, sort of defensive midfielder who who's really good awareness, really good tactically, and he's someone who rated really highly on our on our um, you know in our report and uh, kind of aggressive in ball winning and that kind of thing. He, he's someone I think is one to look out for. I think when you look at Maybe players who have started this season quite well and maybe maybe kind of uh, emerged and, and burst onto the scene. I've been very impressed with some of the players at, at Arsenal. I think uh, yeah. Kiddo Taylor Hart uh, is a player who has kind of emerged quite well. Uh, I saw him in a game. I think it was against Palace where he was he was quality. Um, he's an eighteen year old sort of can play on the left or right side. A mid as well. Very decent dribbler. Um, fits that Arsenal kind of technical profile. Uh, I also quite like uh, Mika Beerith, who I think. He started fairly well this season. Uh, he he did really well at, at Fulham, but he kind of they didn't really hang on to him. And you know he's obviously gone to Arsenal now and, and started started fairly well as well. 
I mean, we could we could literally talk all day about different players. So it's quite hard to sort of um, pinpoint and pick out names that, that have impressed me because I mean, there's just so many at this level that kind of rise on the scene. And I think in you know the case like Balogun is someone who's kind of he 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 was he he burst through didn't he into into the kind of wider wider spotlight mm-hmm. and then has now kind of maybe come back again into the into that twenty three setup. So. Um, yeah, I don't know who you, maybe Joe, you you might have some names as well that have impressed you, but there's so many, I mean, we could talk about. Yeah, I mean, aside from the, obviously the, the top scorers, I think, I mean, to be fair, he's actually scored quite a few just looking down the list, but uh, Jezerin Raksaki, who uh, I spoke about uh, with Matt Woosnam uh, on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, might have been a few months ago now, um, he, he made his Crystal Palace debut, if I'm not mistaken, against Chelsea on the opening day of the season. But he's been uh, he's been very very good for um, for Crystal Palace's 23s. Uh, just you know plays well on the on the right hand side of, of the attack. Uh, won a penalty for England's under 20s the other day, actually. Um, but I think you're right to say a few of those Arsenal players as well. Um, you know the Kido Taylor Hart, as you mentioned, is, is definitely one to watch. Uh, I think Amari Hutchinson. Uh, he is he's another player who, when I've watched Arsenal's 23s play, you, you kind of get the impression that uh, he's he's got a bit about him uh, and and of course there's been quite I'd say it's it's more hype than anything else but um it's it's deservedly so to a certain point uh for for Charlie Patino uh who is is also at Arsenal um and you know whispers and 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 words that that get passed around within sort of youth football in and academy circles sort of they like to use his name in in maybe uh in in comparisons to previous first team players which I'm not overly enamored with but um and and we'll keep them off the podcast you can probably imagine who they are in reference to but um He's uh, he's he's another one who, who's, who's definitely impressed uh, in in 23's football and, and in some of those EFL trophy games as well. Um, but I suppose we we should probably get onto the the case studies that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and and you 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 dropped the bombshell that it's Leeds and Villas under 23's. Uh, and I thought they'd, they'd be two good teams mainly because I, I know quite a fair bit about the Leeds under 23's, uh, but also because Villas uh, under 23's are in Division Two. Uh, whereas Leeds are in Division One, um, so it splits it up nicely, and I think it, it it can give us a little bit of discussion about the different the differing levels in PL Two Division One and PL Two Division Two. Um, I don't know if you want to get started with with Villa, uh, because I mean there are I mean th- there are some very very talented players in in that group, aren't there? Yeah, and sorry for the the spoiler alert there. Uh, oh, absolutely uh, not. I hope, no, no. hope you don't mind that. <laughs> me uh, spoiling that right there, but yeah, no, I, they're two they're two very good, good, good case studies because uh, mainly because of just the the aggression in their in their recruitment strategies. To be honest, uh, so I, I'm not surprised. Kind of that you, you know you've highlighted them. I think when you when you look at the the two, what are the similarities? Well, you know, as, as I've just mentioned, they're both uh, really taking it seriously. Um, start with Villa, maybe you know they've got. Uh, Johan Langer, who's the sporting director, and, and Mark Harrison, their academy manager. Um, when he joined, I think there was a famous quote that did the rounds within Birmingham where he said he wants to make Aston Villa the club that every everyone wants to go to. Um, and they've, they've been very aggressive in the way they've, they've looked to kind of uh, s- sort of uh, scout and recruit players. Um, a good example, maybe Bren, Ben Cruzine from uh, Exeter City, 17-year-old uh, England youth international who Liverpool, Liverpool and Chelsea were both reportedly quite keen on. And of course, he's he's kind of you know turned up at, at Villa, um, and and there's many others. I mean, there's many that have come through their own academy system themselves that they've that they've, they've that they've that have emerged through their academy. I'm a massive fan of uh, uh, Chukwuemeka. I think he he's a real 
prospect uh, and another one who ranked incredibly highly. There's two of them, of course. Uh, so I mean, Carney, um, he was described as the, the best 16 year old in the country at the time when he when he sort of first emerged. And he's very much a kind of talented, composed sort of um, live sort of athletic central midfield player, brilliant touch and technique. Uh, you know, Villa obviously did extremely well in, in the Youth Cup as well, and 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 they had a lot of players come through. You know, from uh, from that Youth Cup winning team, um, Louis Barry, for example, is another one who, who who's doing well. Uh, you mentioned Cameron Archer, I think, uh, or I think we were going to talk about maybe Cameron Archer, who started this season very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many players. Obviously, Jacob Ramsey, like like you've mentioned, um, Villa are, are, are taking it very seriously in the way they recruit, and I think I think it's part of a, in fact, a wider strategy for Aston Villa. I think. You know their survival may be hinged on a on a on a goal line decision um, <laughs> a couple of years ago for anyone who might remember it. But I think since their survival, they, they've really approached how they're going to go about the next sort of five to ten years in in a, in a very strategic way. Uh, and I think we will start to see sort of bear the fruits of that. You know, I think I think West Brom, Birmingham City, clubs in the Midlands, Villa are certainly trying to do what they can to to make themselves the number one in that area. You know, West Brom have been very good at youth development over the last sort of five to ten years. And I think Villa kind of now are trying to assert themselves in that region and, and also the whole country. Um, so, so there's many players that have come through there. I mean, uh, quite like Sebastian Revan as well, who's a, who's a left back, could play centre back as well. Who he caught my eye um, in our report, and yeah, they, they've got a very good, uh, very good academy set up at the moment. Yeah, it's it's not a case that they kind of wiped the sweat from their brow and just went, oof, that was a bit of a, a close call, was it? And then just sat back and relaxed. It was, you know, it was very targeted and it was, you know, Johan Lange and, and the like, you know, making those decisions and saying, nah, actually, let's make sure that this doesn't happen again and, and that we actually do have a steady stream of, of, of promising young players to come through. And and I mean, you mentioned the aggressive recruitment there, and I think it's probably uh, appropriate that we discuss Leeds for that because I'd say it's uh, aside from Villa, you know, Leeds's under twenty three recruitment over the past twelve to around sixteen months has been very, very unique. But it also shows the merits that Premier League clubs and other Premier League sides can can maybe tap into. Uh, in that, you know, they've they signed Cody Drame from Fulham, uh, Joe Gelhart they, they they plucked from Wigan when when Wigan were in administration, uh, Sam Greenwood from Arsenal, uh, Lewis Bate from Chelsea, as you just mentioned, uh, Crescencio Somerville from Feyenoord. Uh, and I'm sure there'll be others off the top of my head. I mean, there's Amari Miller from Birmingham this year, uh, Sean McGurk also from Wigan. Um, they, they 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 sign these players for for fees, which are typically higher than you'd expect for players with no first team experience or very little first team experience. Uh, and then they play them exclusively in the under twenty three system for 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 one or two years. It's kind of a two stage process, and it's a very targeted plan in you know building a team which plays which mirrors the style of the first team which then looks to 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 fill out the first team squad on the bench with maybe three or four under 23s three or four of the standouts um who are who are there as as insurance you know they're never going to come on or they're not going to come on in their first year of development maybe in the second year which is what we're seeing now um but they you know they they primarily play under 23 football and that's 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 where they develop and it's not a case of you know you spend, I mean, you know, you can spend ten million on a on a squad player in the Premier League. It's very easy to do that because prices, you know, grow exponentially with the more experience that you have. 
Whereas what Leeds have done is for the list of players that that I've that I've named there, you know, the, the, the transfer fees and, and the add-ons, they'll probably come to between ten and fifteen million pounds. Probably not even pushing ten in initial fees. Um, and you know, all it takes is for one of them, one of them to make it to the first team. Uh, and ironically, the player who has made it to the first team already and admittedly will not be playing week in week out. Uh, is, is Charlie Cresswell, who is uh, currently with England's under-21 group. Um, he made his Premier League debut against uh, West Ham uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and really, really looked assured. You know, he looked like he belonged there, uh, did very, very well against Mikhail Antonio. But for the past year, uh, you know, I can vouch for him having been excellent at under-23 level. You know, the type of player who is, you know, at centre-half, he's very old school, but at the same time, he can comfortably step out with the ball. He's very good at pinging balls into a striker's chest when he's dropping off or hitting those diagonals. Um, and, you know, he's he is the, I think, uh, an amalgamation of sort of, you know, you get your, your defensive fundamentals right and then you actually get that academy coaching, which we were talking about earlier, and you mesh it into one player who's maybe got that mindset, playing for the badge, the, the leadership mentality. Um, uh, as well and you get a player who is you know after two senior appearances getting called up to England's under 21s uh, and uh, you know being being put into the first team when there's a, an injury crisis um, and I think if you if you get that under aggressive recruitment right and you provide that platform of you know uh, it, it effectively is like a B team in a way but just without the, the label of it um, it, it can, I mean, in, in, I don't know, two, three, four years down the line, even if four or five don't make it to the Leeds first team, you will easily make up that 10 million in, in outgoing transfer fee, in, in sort of incoming transfer fees um, because of the, the development and the reputation that, that you'd have gained um, by, by, you know, creating that environment to develop young players, to develop elite young players in and amongst um you know, fellow elite young players. Um, so, yeah, I've kind of—it's a bit of a long-winded one, and and yeah, I think you can probably tell I don't usually sort of bring sort of my work life onto this podcast, but it's one which uh, I I do I think it's very curious, it's very intriguing, uh, and and I do think it's one which which should have a light shone on it because it's very good work by the you know the the, the likes of Adam Underwood uh, at uh, at Leeds. Yeah, and I think it's spot on, Joe, to be honest, you, you know, and if you look at Leeds kind of, you know, last season in terms of their, their PL2 team and, and their promotion, uh, they were the best team in that division by 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 some distance, in my opinion. Uh, you know, they, they won they won the league quite, 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 quite easily, scored 62 goals in 24 games, um, you know, way more than anyone else in the league. I think it's nearly 20 goals more than anyone else. Uh, I know there's a writer who uh, writes for you guys, uh, Josh Hobbs, who's quite prominent on Twitter as a Leeds, Leeds writer. He's someone who's quite, quite fond of a lot of these players that, that you've mentioned. Um, Cresswell's one that that we, you know, in our report, he was extremely highly rated. He, uh, he's, he's a player that I think will play for England. I think I tweeted it saying, uh, I think he'll play for England. Um, might not even be that much of a sort of wild shout, to be honest, because I think he, he's that good. Uh, just turned 19. He, he you know, he can, he's a sort of le- can play left side of centre-back. Uh, good left foot passing, long and short range. Uh, as you've mentioned, he's very calm on the ball. And, and, and when you talk about the strategy as well there, uh, Joe, you talked about how they sort of get rid of, uh, sort of, you know, use it as as well to make um, make some make some transfer funds. You know, the the, the likes of Ollie Casey obviously left for an undisclosed fee uh, to Blackpool um, in the summer. He he was a sort of centre centre back partner for for Charlie there. Uh, Nara Huggins also has gone to to Sunderland. 
uh, who I quite liked. He's a fullback, can play left or right back, can also play centre mid. Uh, he's 20, I think just turning 21. Um, he, he's another player who they've kind of, you know, been able to, to sort of flip uh, to a certain extent. And I'm sure there will be others, as, as you've mentioned, you know, Sam Green was a player who, who was very highly coveted and, and, you know, they got him from Arsenal for 1.5 million. You know, let's see where he goes. Lewis Bate, 1.2 million. So, you know, th- these are relatively small fees if you look at it in the context of the Premier League money um, that can then maybe potentially lead to, to big sales if, if they if they do choose to sell them or or first team football. Um, and, you know, you've got Crescenzio Somerville as well, who's, who started this campaign f- fairly well, I think, uh, by all reports. And, and uh, another player I really like is, is Cody Drame, who they, they took from Fulham, uh, a right back who I think is, a, is an excellent prospect. Uh, 19, I think maybe obviously going on 20, but he he's another one who I think has a has a potential high potential to go quite far. So the, the interesting thing with Leeds, um, when you look at them as a specific case study, is I think I think the environment around these young players is very um, BLs are focused, isn't it, Joe? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. very um, you, you you can see watching the 23s that this is a BLs team, which is you know you don't often get that sort of clear identity. Um, translating all the way down through the levels. So, some clubs will try it, and obviously they, they do, you know, certain clubs, maybe you could say Arsenal and others, have a certain style that they try to permeate throughout the throughout the football club. But with Leeds, it's extremely clear. You know, you've got players who can play multiple positions, uh, constant running, you need a lot of energy in, to play in that team. You know, I remember sort of watching Nar Huggins and thought he, he was a player who was full of energy um, and fitted that kind of, BL's a model where you could be playing right or left back, but you're streaming forward uh, whenever there's a sort of a, a transition. Um, Drame as well is similar in that sense. And and um, then you've got players who, who are sort of quite technically gifted as well, like Gelhard, like you said, and, and Somerville, of course, who, who's got a lot of pace uh, and can kind of be effective in those transition situations and, and finish. So, yeah, I think I think the thing with Leeds that this struck me is that that clear kind of identity, and obviously that takes a high degree of coaching and and uh, a kind of similar sort of a it takes a what's the way of putting it kind of like a hive mind in in, in the coaching mm. of it because it's you know Bielsa is obviously working on the first team, but he obviously has his core philosophy and can quickly identify which players from the new team can then maybe go into that setup like like we've seen with Cresswell now making his, his Premier League debut. Yeah, you have to buy into it at all levels. I think that's really important. And I think it must be stressed that that keeping these young players, you know, coming from all over, some of them have come from playing championship football, maybe a few a few fleeting appearances like Joe Gelhart did, um, or Sam Greenwood, who was playing at Arsenal uh, and playing as a centre forward um, and coming to, to Leeds and then be moulded maybe into a different role, a different position, um, such as Sam Greenwood. You know, he's, he's effectively been playing as a number 10 for the past year, essentially, uh, despite playing as a number nine for England. Um, you know, it has to be said that, you know, keeping these young players grounded and, and keeping them focused has been uh, the under-23s manager, Mark Jackson, who, um, you know, is, is very, very straight down the middle, very, uh, very honest with what he says. He, he doesn't shirk the responsibility in, in sort of post-match or anything like that. So he's, um, yeah, he, he's another one who deserves credit for the work that's being done uh, there. And, and yeah, he's, uh, it, it's, it's, it will be interesting to see how the, um, how the standouts from that group will, will move on because, yeah, the, as you mentioned, the, the likes of Ollie Casey and, and Niall Huggins have gone on to, to the EFL. And I think it's important to stress that, you know, I, I personally think that the, the quality or the success of an academy is not gauged by how many players make it into the first team of the, that academy's first team, if that makes any sense. Um, I realise I've said a lot of words in different places there, but 
it's the the success of an academy is based on how many you know good level careers it produces and and whether you you i mean first of all be a good person but second of all you know be a be a very good professional um you know be dedicated be efficient be um but you know be somebody that is going to be you know coveted by other managers and and ultimately we've seen that already you know Casey and, and Huggins have gone to the EFL they've gone to Blackpool with uh, Casey's gone to Blackpool with Neil Critchley who's obviously been in the under 23 circuit under 21 under 18 circuit with Liverpool for quite some time uh, and then you've got Niall Huggins who has gone to Sunderland and Sunderland have seen under their new ownership of of um of, of revamped their, their sort of scouting and and um sort of uh, recruitment department and they've got some very intelligent people there so it's you know it, when Leeds players and when and the same will be for, for Aston Villa players as well um, are, are being coveted by other clubs in, in the football league then that is a reflection of well they must be doing something right at these academies and you build that reputation yeah you're, you're spot on Joe and I think I think um, I think when you boil it all down you know in terms of this conversation you, you can look at academies in maybe two to three different ways kind of you can look at how many how many players is your academy producing for your first team? Um, that could maybe maybe be the one marker. So you, you can look at sort of Manchester United and their incredible success um, at that level. Getting you know I think I can't remember how many years it's gone back now, but decades of kind of having at least one academy player within their within their squad. And and if you look at the current crop, of course you've got you know Anthony Alanga who's who's doing very well, for example. Um, and you know Mason Greenwood is you know. Is, is probably the standout example at this moment in time of, of, of their academy production. You can look at that area. You can then look at maybe how, how much money is your academy making for the football club in terms of maybe flipping players um, and that sales strategy, uh, which which some clubs will, will look for and look to do. You know, and, and there's certain clubs who, who will primarily maybe look to try and, try and flip some of these kids and, and, and make a profit and to keep everything going. Um, you know that maybe the Brentford B model Brentford have been quite successful in in that area of just at first team level as well, but that kind of approach to it, and and then thirdly, it's kind of how many of your academy players just make it within football, not necessarily your own team or your first team, but how many actually make it having a fruitful career and enjoyable career within the professional game. Hmm. Uh, I think you know Chelsea can be can be looked at that as as, as quite a, a decent example. Um, you know, just if you look at the players that Chelsea, you know, Chelsea have had incredible success at academy level over the years. And if you just look at some of the players, they were either released or left the club, even this this past summer that's just gone. Um, you've got Jack Wakeley, who's gone to Wickham. You've got John Russell, who's at Huddersfield B now. Uh, you've got Marcel Lewis, who's now playing in Belgium um, for Union Saint-Giroir. So you can kind of see that, you know, the reputation that Chelsea have and that path, you know, they have that pathway, they have the professionalism and you can kind of almost say to a player, well, if you go to Chelsea's academy, even if you don't make it at Chelsea, you've got a fairly good chance of having a career maybe. So each club will have their own different model and their own outlook in terms of which of those three is their principle and their key strategy. And and, and at the end of the day, it's up to those clubs, depending on what category they're in as well, you know, whether it's Cat 1 Academy, Cat 2, Cat 3, that kind of thing, that could dictate it, it's finances. Um, but I suppose you can. It's hard to judge the success of each academy because they all have maybe slightly different aims. Um, and I think maybe as an industry, that the ultimate sort of responsibility for those working within this this area is is kind of just trying to increase that percentage from kind of you know less than one percent to maybe can we get to two percent maybe or three percent having careers or you know can we narrow that very very minor minor percentage of players who continue and stay in the game? Can we can we reduce that in some way? And I think the other side of it, which is, is an area maybe for, for another day, is is the holistic side of it in terms of 
Um, do the people who get released, you know, there's, obviously there's a lot of talk about kind of mental health and the, 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 the strategy for those who don't make it. You know, can, can we make sure that the players who maybe might not make it professionally, maybe they can fall into the non-league system and, and maybe retrain and, and have a successful maybe semi-professional career or, or have a, have, take the learnings from academy football and maybe launch a business or, or start something else that, that continues them. And, and so it's not the be all and end all. Do we provide enough awareness that, you know, there's a very, very small chance of, 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 of you maybe making it statistically and, and making sure that that kind of that disappointment when you maybe do get released isn't, isn't sort of life, um, life altering in, in kind of how, how it affects you. So I think those are the four areas that you can look at and say, you could probably mark and say, are we doing a good job in this area, this area, this area, in this area? And that's probably how I would look at kind of um, a successful academy personally. Um, and it just depends on what your strategy is in, in those four. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I echo everything that you're saying there. And it, it's, it's, you know, something you're clearly very passionate about and, and know an awful lot about. So, um, yeah, if, if anyone, uh, you know, wants to listen more to, to what Jonathan has to say, then, then do, um, then do hit him up uh, on Twitter and stuff. But I do want to uh, get just, just to the end of this podcast. It does, does feel like we could literally go for two hours here, but, um, I do want to go sort of look into the future and, and it'll be, I mean, it, it coming off the back of that very sort of holistic and philosophical discussion there it seems wrong to go straight into okay who do you think is going to win pl2 division one and and who do you think is going to win division two but um i am going to ask you that uh i i I would like to to get your stance because i've got my own suspicions of over who will do who will uh who will i don't know win out in the end maybe uh in in the two divisions yeah let's let's uh (laughs) let's get into it i suppose um it's, it's it's very hard to to say because you know January can come along and ruin everything because you can exactly. get <laughs> top players can go out on loan or get transferred and 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 your predictions are uh, turned to dust. So if you look at it at the moment, obviously I think we're seven games in, Fulham are top in in the in the second division, and I think is it Man City are top in the yeah first Man, Man City are top point? yeah yeah yeah. I'm gonna say Man City will win the first division, and I'm gonna say Aston Villa. Are going to go close to winning it in the second division. That's my very diplomatic my on the set, take on, on division two there. I suppose um, it was easier last year because Leeds kind of as soon as they got a few dodgy defeats out of the way, they then kind of ploughed on and it became abundantly clear that they were going to be the the team to to go up automatically. Um, yeah, I think I think the aggression of I think Villa's aggression will will eventually yeah y- y- bear fruit. I think it'll be interesting to see what West Brom have to say about that because as I said, that you know that is a quite a personal battle at the moment. I think in the mm. Midlands between the two of them. So whoever wins, you know, out of those two could be interesting and I'm sure Fulham will have something to say about it. But if you were to ask me right now, to, as of today, in October, I'm going to say Villa. That's very interesting you say that because I am also going to go with, uh, oh, is it Fulham or Villa? Yeah, I'm going to go with Villa. Um, and that's mainly one of the reasons why I, I sort of picked them out as the team in PL2, to, to PL2 Division 2 to be the case study because I do think that they, you know, they've scored 22 goals in seven games, you know, we look at the example of Leeds last season. If you have that firepower, and I mean they have it with Carney and Caleb Chukwumeka, uh, you know even Jacob and Aaron Ramsey, Cameron Archer, as we discussed, um, Jaden Fulijim Bides, uh, who we didn't even get onto, but is in his own right a fantastic player with a gr- very good story. Um, I do think that Villa probably will have the strength. Um, you know, you, it'll probably be a different story altogether if. 
Fabio Carvalho hadn't uh, sort of become a prominent first teamer at Fulham this season because he was great last year for them in in 23's football. But um, yeah, that is. I'm going to go with Villa in Division Two, and I'm going to go with just to be different. I'm going to go Arsenal in uh, Division One um, because I do suspect. I, I don't know. I just I do suspect whether whether Man City can do back to back titles. I know they they are quite without a doubt the, the most well-funded under 23 team but um yeah i don't know I, I quite fancy arsenal for that maybe maybe some uh some taylor hart hutchinson and and patino magic and and i just think if, if balogun continues to play in that team then they're going to continue to score so yeah um they are my predictions just one final question for you jonathan and i'll promise i'll let you leave then um I, I would like to just gauge your sort of your long-term projections uh, for sort of the competitions format. Obviously, it was revamped five years ago. It used to be the the whole reserve system, and then it was the under twenty-one Premier League, and now it's Premier League Two. What do you think? Your what, what do you think is, is is the future for this competition and this format? With you know the whole debate around B teams and under twenty-three teams and TS three and four in, in English football and and the EFL trophy and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, I'm going to end it with a question to you after I've answered this, uh, Joe. I want to, I'm going to ask you which of the Arsenal players you think will go sort of will will break out furthest in terms of maybe first team. Um, but I'm going to answer it with a. It's a, it's a great question as well. I, I think the the B team thing won't go away. That will always be a, a debate um, because at the end of the day, you've got three strands maybe you could argue four but you've got three strands of English football you've got the FA you've got the Premier League and then obviously you've got the EFL and the Premier League dictates everything pretty much more or less uh, you could argue and I think the Premier League has its own self-interest and that self-interest will say we want our teams within the EFL and that that friction will always be there despite the resistance I think it's a cultural resistance you know I think as fans we don't like it and I think that's the only real thing that maybe could stop it I think that will depend on the resilience of clubs uh, post-COVID. I think that's going to, you know, how many of the, you know, w- what's amazed me so far is we haven't seen more clubs fold um, after the pandemic. And it's been great to see fans back in the stadium. It's been so good, especially at non-league level. Uh, one thing I've observed, uh, Joe, is there's a massive, um, this is a, maybe a topic for another time, but there's a <clears throat> there's a big increase in attendances at non-league level. And I think that's a, that's a, that's a, a debate for another day in terms of where the dynamics of English football are going from a fan point of view. But um, the more cl- long and short of it, what I'm trying to say is that the, the more clubs that struggle, uh, the more chance maybe the Premier League come in and saying, well, listen, let's fill the gap with our, some of our B teams. If you, if you look at Scotland, of course, at the moment, the, the, the B teams have started to kind of integrate slightly at, at a very low level. And it's kind of, I think it's been experimented with and, and you know, it's kind of watched this space I can't see it ever really being universally accepted in England just because we have, in my opinion, and, you know, I'm not someone who's kind of uh, waving my flag, God save the Queen, but 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 we do have, in my opinion, the greatest uh, English... I do think we have the greatest pyramid system in, in, in probably the world in terms of our, the depth of English football. Um, you know, you can go to a game at step seven, which is what we're talking, 10th, 11th division of English football, and, and you can have maybe nearly a 1,000 people at the stadium. Um, you know, step six... Step, so in, in the fifth year of English football at the moment, average attendances are kind of, you know, in the thousands, which is incredible. That Mac- uh, Macclesfield can... are getting like 3,000 and they've yeah, they've just yeah. reformed and that is like step seven, step eight, isn't it? Exactly. It's unbelievable the, 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 the breadth of English football and the support. Even at smaller clubs, you know, you, you've got clubs that have fallen, but you've also got um, attendances rising for clubs that even aren't, aren't that big. So 
I just can't see that ever being really accepted that we can put Manchester United B or Manchester City B into like the National League and, and, and it be accepted. We have, we have a robust loan system and until that's maybe changed or aborted, then I, I can't see why there's a, there's a reason for B teams. But I think that debate will always be there and that's, that's, that's going to be um, always an argument. I don't think it's going to win in the short term, but it could, it could in the medium to long term. So that, that's the only thing that I could see maybe altering the PL2 format at this moment in time. I, th- I think the other area of it is, as I mentioned earlier in the show, there is that kind of feeling that within some clubs at times that under 23s is a little bit of a waste of time for some of them and, and kind of, but I, but I think you can utilize the loan system to, to, to benefit that and you maybe bring in younger players, um, you know, maybe they're under 18s mark and just promote players through it. So I, I, I think it's in a good, I think it's in a good state at the moment. I think it is quite healthy. Um, there are challenges, but I think at the moment the balance is just about right. I think the, although I was quite against the, um, you know, the EFL trophy at the beginning of it in terms of B teams, I do think that's had a good impact because at least that's a little bit more competition for them and, 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 and players do get to measure themselves against teams in a certain way. But I wouldn't be in favour of it in the league system at this moment in time. But I think that debate will continue for for years to come probably and, and that may lead to changes. But uh, for me personally, Joe, I think it's a, a good system and, and so far. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting that the way you came across there in terms of the, the the reasoning for why you think it won't go away, as in if clubs begin to fold or you know the the, the financial implications, which then you know Premier League clubs being the you know the the savior that they believe they are, you know would come in and say, oh well, we'll put our B team in there or we'll put our our under twenty threes. That is an interesting interesting thought. Um, yeah, I'm gonna, I was I was thinking about maybe trying to skirt around your last question, considering <laughs> it was at the beginning of your answer. But no, I'd, I'd I'd like to I'd like to answer it. I do think that despite sort of playing down the hype early, I think Charlie Patino definitely has something about him. Uh, obviously, still only 17, so caveat that massively. Um, but obviously, following Balogun is is the big one. I think um, you know he's 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 at that point now where you think unders football is is beneath him. Um, but if I if I wasn't if I if I was discounting him from it, I think you know you got to look at the likes of um, Salah Ulad Mahand. Uh, I've probably butchered his name terribly there, so uh, apologies to anybody who actually knows him or, has to, or knows how to pronounce it. But um, he is yeah he he's one which uh, I've definitely kept an eye on so far this season. Um, but yeah, uh, that is everything from the Scouted Football podcast this week. Uh, and I do promise that is absolutely everything. A bit of a, a longer one this week, uh, a bumper episode. But I think there was a lot we had to discuss and I'm glad we did discuss it. Uh, so thank you very much to, to Jonathan for joining me. Um, if you would like to follow Jonathan on Twitter, see his his pearls of wisdom uh, in, in text, then uh, do follow him. He is at JF Football, as in F-U-T-B-O-L. Uh, and yeah, I mean, if, if people want to engage with you, if people want to you know get involved with with future global sports or or with just football or where can they i mean obviously they can find you on twitter but you know what is where can they they get in touch uh yeah and thanks a lot for having me on the show and i hope i haven't sort of rambled on too much in terms of the length of the podcast but we've fit quite a lot in i think joe i hope i haven't debating whether we could do it but i think i think we did it pretty well um um, but yeah so thanks thanks for inviting me Uh, yeah twitter you can find me jf football f-u-t-b-o-l uh, I suppose LinkedIn, you can just put my name in LinkedIn if you wanted to connect with me and, and chat. Uh, obviously, futureglobalsports.com, you can maybe drop an email to that if, you, if you're interested. But yeah, uh, it's not too hard to find people on the, on the internet these days, but uh, hopefully provided some value to, to listeners and uh, I'm fairly easy to get hold of if, if you need if you need to. Excellent stuff. Well, this has been, uh, this has been the Scouted Football Podcast with me, Joe Donoghue uh, and Jonathan Fadugba discussing PL2. Uh, thanks for your time. Stay safe. Take care. Bye for now. 
for player profiles, in-depth features, and exclusive interviews. Visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world.